This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Megan's Cry, and the author, Gregory Pollock. And Gregory joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Greg. Hello. Pleased to be here. Great to have you with us. Let me read a just some things you've written to kind of set the stage a little bit more about your book, Megan's Cry. As you say, it's a beautiful love story. Once Megan cries out to God, she begins a journey with a total stranger and a welcoming Heavenly Father. When she begins, so does God. She finds her mother was right. God really is trying to teach us something every day. And, of course, with simple faith, she steps into the life she was meant to live. So things can really be tough, but often there's things to learn, and God is hes always there. Yeah, I, I think in, sometimes God brings us into a place where we have nowhere else to turn to but Him. And it can actually be a good place, because it can be a place where he begins to change our situation in our lives, in our hearts. Um, and I think he does have a wonderful plan for people, you know, if we can believe. Right, and that often is very... He, he really... helps us while we're in the world, but he doesn't... God helps us while we're in the world, but he, he doesn't take us out of the world. So he helps us deal with our lives and see his plan. He has a plan, and sometimes, you know... Um, Bad things do happen to good people. Well, we have to keep an eternal perspective on things, and that often is very difficult, especially in this uh, realm of mortality. Uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about your background before we get into the details of your book, a little bit about you and why you decided to write this book. Well, I, I was born and raised in Neely, Nebraska, up in northeast Nebraska, and I attended the uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln um, to get a degree in civil engineering. I actually have worked for over 33 years for the Department of Transportation. Um, I had an illness uh, in 1992, um, and I was pretty well uh, uh, stricken. I I lost my my wife at, at that time, and it was pretty painful, and so I actually wrote sort of for therapy. And uh, and then later, when the the book changed as I became more Christian, I kind of incorporated the Lord or God into the writing, and it became Christian fiction. But one thing, when I got done with the book, and I look at the world as it is, and I see that today, like, well, in the communities I grew up in when I was growing up, I mean... People never gave concealed carry a thought. You know, they weren't thinking that. And so, you know, I was hoping, as I saw my book going back and the kind of, you know, family Megan had, the kind of raised upbringing in the, her family, um, and the kind of life that she moved into, 
that, you know, um, it would be good for people to hear that and to might revive, you know, some simpler times, you know. So that's part of what I saw later after it was done. So Megan Richardson, 38-year-old uh, divorcee, she's got a 10-year-old son, and then her life really changes a great deal when she reads a letter from her departed mom? Yeah, I mean, she's her whole world's closing in around her, and she reads this, her mother's final letter to her over and over, and these words, the Lord will soon complete your family, really confuse her. Because she's wondering, like, how can my mother know something like that? And Megan had always known that her mother possessed a special kind of faith and some kind of spiritual gift, but there was no way that her mother, Claire, could see, you know, into the future. And so it was just beyond the realm of human possibility. So she's just wondering how that could be. And then she, you know, she returns to her job in Madison, Wisconsin, as a nurse, and she's just disappointed, and she's hurt, and she's got all these questions. Why, God? You know, why my mother? And there's just no reply. You know, it's just a quiet stillness. And one Friday morning, she runs to her patient, Sarah, and Sarah's a six-year-old little cancer patient, and Sarah saves Megan from a panic attack. And when this happens, Megan sees this little girl as a thousand times bigger on the inside than she is on the outside. And it opens up this question again, you know, is God really at work in this little girl? So then she's still floundering, trying to work, all, you know, becoming depressed. She takes the advice of her best friend. She returns to the family farm. And that's where she starts asking, what if I don't get better? What will happen to me then? And then, um, sitting alone in her room, she spirals into this deep depression, and she cries out to God, and God is there for her. He's always been there for her. And then over the next six days, you know, the, the Lord changes her situation and her life, and she finds this life and this man that she was meant to live with live her life with so it all kind of happens right after she cries out to god and it's this time that she spends with this darren weston that her father when her when her mother had gotten ill had hired this darren weston to help operate the dairy so he'd have more time to be with claire and he's there as hired help but this girl again she has this 10 year old son and uh, Darren's taking the boy fishing and stuff, so all of a sudden, you know, they begin to, you know, touch each other. I mean, or Megan comes to where she begins to know this Darren, and they begin to talk and do things together over that six-day period. So your book is unlike a lot of romance novels because it, dresses, it addresses some very critical spiritual questions. Well, I think, um, you know, when people date, um, a lot of times they, they might, you know, a Christian Christians ask, is this the right person for me, God? You know, I mean, am I dealing with, I mean, am I dating the right person here? And I think that um, Megan's Cry, as a r- romance novel, you know, deals with adding God to the story that a lot of times, you know, um, more secular romance novels would never 
never do. That's true. Now, we all know there are times when we face real adversity, sometimes more than we think we can handle, and, of course, that brings uncertainty and fear and doubt. And your book is really trying to help us understand, you know, when we get to that point where we start asking these questions, uh, especially questioning God, uh, you know, almost is like he's betrayed us, and we start wondering, is he really there? Uh, Does he really have a plan for my life? Your story just kind of opens up the real truth behind it all. Yeah, I mean, if you look at how many people today are stressed and even maybe depressed over maybe financial uncertainties or their families. Uh, futures and problems, and you, I think there are readers out there who can relate to what Megan experiences in this book, um, and their problems, you know, I think, in, in, I've had a little bit in my life, when the problems just seem too big and too hard and too painful for me to solve, and Megan's cry, you know, it comes to the reader, you know, where they are, you know, and it encourages them to come to Christ and kind of let Christ take away their fears and, and bring them some joy, you know. And, and the, you know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, you know, and the kingdom of heaven was inside of us. And I think if we, you know, can let Jesus in, that kingdom can, can bring us peace and joy. And the real key issue, if we only believe... That's a big thing in my book. I, I tried to bold that a little bit or make it larger and, and emphasize um, that I wanted the readers to know how, that, they, that there was this plan for them. If they could only believe, to step out in faith and try to believe and cast their burden on, on Jesus. That is... Critical. That is critical to find peace. Why was why was writing chapter sixteen when Megan cries out to God? Why was that so challenging for you? Yeah, the middle of the book is when uh, Megan cries out to God and actually, you know, I need help, Lord. You know, I just I can't do this on my own. And I had kind of done that on my own um, years ago, twenty years ago. And maybe I didn't remember it, but you know the thing about that was bringing God into her life, and God doesn't just jump out and go, "Hey, I'm, I'm God, and I want to have a talk with you." So God doesn't speak to us audibly, and to bring about this change where she sees God's on her side, God's with her, God's going to change her and not have God talking to her. Like, you can't write that. You have to, you write it, but it's, it becomes harder to write. I think for me it became more difficult to write because it was so subtle that, and in the end, I mean, she, all, she picks this idea up. If I can only, if I can only, if I can only believe, then I'm going to, you know, be better, get better. And you do that without having God come down and tell you I'm right here. She just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, has this experience, and then she believes that God's right there. 
So it's a little harder. It's a little different. You can't. It's not like just two people having a dialogue. <laughs> Dialogues out there. And often, but I, I think I think it was uh, it worked out. Okay. I think it worked out well, and um, I think it's very believable. And often, God places people in our lives that at first we may not see how they might help us. But in this case, Sarah, the little one, the six-year-old, she becomes the nurse, and the nurse becomes the patient. Yeah, and the little girl, you know, is sort of symbolic of childlike faith. You know, if you, you, you're a father, you've got kids, and they come up to you wide-eyed, and they just speak what's on their mind. And children are, you know, so pure and, and so open and I think God is just filling them up every day. He just fills them up. And so that childlike faith was in Sarah. That's what I think of it. You know, I think there was, I think there was that she sort of did things with Megan that Megan thought was, you know, almost extraordinary or, or almost miraculous, miraculous. But really it was just her wide open love, you know, and, and her, her open heart that a lot of, you know, us adults, I mean, adults like us, we kind of shut that up. And that little girl, you know, little little girls and little guys, they can, little children, they, they just open up and they just do that naturally. Well, we all have probably, especially those of us who are a little older, remember a time when families and neighbors were really close and your hope is that Megan's cry might revive the love people shared in those simpler times. My parents when I grew up had so many friends and they hosted card club and the people in the community really cared about one another and they would laugh and you know I have seen things uh, since I've written Megan's cry and I think I want to mention it, since I've written it, I've become a little more sensitized to, you know, the violence in the world, and it saddens me, and I, 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 I really would like to think that I might have done something with this book that gives people something clean and pure and fresh and, and brings them to a better place, you know, with Christ, that they can take away the violence. You know, one thing, when I titled this book, Megan's Cry, um, that word cry, actually, what happened, John the Baptist came out of the, the desert, and he was crying out to the people for them to repent, and he was telling them that the kingdom of God was near. And he asked them, you know, to forgive one another, and he asked them to do violence to no one. And... I I guess I later on after I you know named it Megan's Cry I think of that quite often now that just like John crying out to the people saying you know God is going to come God is coming and just be good to your neighbor you know don't do harm to your neighbor so um, yeah that's it's it, it may seem a little odd to you but um, that's a big big thing of of the title that's what it reminds me of. We've been listening to Gregory Pollock. He's the author of his book, Megan's Cry. Gregory, tell us how we get your book. Well, the book's available on Amazon.com. 
and Barnes and Noble, uh, iUniverse. Um, anyway, I um, hope. I mean, I'll keep talking to people, and hopefully, uh, if I can get people to, you know, get on Facebook. I have a Facebook page uh, for Gregory Pollock that they can get on. They can make comments or. Yeah, and you know, just let other people know that they they enjoyed the book if they did if they did buy it and they did like the book. So that would help greatly to um, to you know get the book you know a little bit better known. Greg, thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Oh well, hey, thanks for having me very much, and have a good have a good day, and I hope all the listeners will will you know give some thought to looking the book over. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. An interesting book, biographical tale, titled, While Being a Parent. You need advice on what to do as a parent. Need to know that God is there all the time. If you need to know that, you need to read this book. And our author is Eddie Marie Durham. Thank you, ma'am, for joining me today. Thank you. Tell me the background story. Why did you feel it was necessary to tell your story, tell the story of your family, and, and try to inspire others? Many of the complications that, were, that I had while being a parent and some of the things that I had done I thought would help someone else, especially those things that I learned as a teacher when I was teaching children of other parents and how defective parenting had on what the children would do as they grew up or in the classroom. That's what got me. Is this the first book you've written, or have you written others? I've written one uh, one before. This one is called Mama Babe and Me, and it's uh, more like a life history of my, my life history and my, my mother's, and it also gives the background of both of us, our, as much of the family, the heritage that we could think of, grandparents, you currently live in, grandparents. Yeah, you currently live in the Texas area, in South Texas. Have you lived yes. there long? I've lived here in Port Arthur for more than 50 years. And as a teacher, tell me the first experience you remember as a parent that you decided to include in this book. As a teacher, uh, one of the things that I learned that is that you have to show a child 
that you love them and that they need discipline. One of those kind of things. And, and, and I don't mean the kind of punishment. There's a difference in discipline and punishment. Keeping children on the right path and doing the right thing is what we would call discipline, letting them know where they go. But uh, punishment is a no, whole nother ball game. And I saw that so much in my teaching experience. The front of your book has three handsome-looking gentlemen on there. Who are those individuals? And uh, describe those gentlemen for my listeners. <laughs> the first one on the book on your left side in the light gray uh, suit is the middle son. His name is Kenneth Wayne, and he's the one that is uh, a businessman. The one in the middle is Bobby Jr., Bobby Durham Jr., and he's a policeman. And the one on the right side in the gray is the oldest son, and he is a, what a, his mom calls a handyman because he does okay. He used to own his ta- own taxi business until a few things happened in where he was living in Houston, and he decided to do something else. Eddie, in reflecting on the contents of your book and the stories you've told, what do you think is going to be most interesting to our listeners and to the readers? I have no idea what would do that. Uh, the, the challenging time for me is while I was, uh, after the one, my middle son was graduated and in college, I went to uh, uh, an affair, and I'm allergic to cigarette smoke, and my voice changed from native Texan language to sometimes people ask me if I'm from the Caribbean or or some other part of the world, and I have no idea how it happened. But And the things that my youngest son, the fun that my youngest son had with my voice changing. So it, it did change, and that was the effect of uh, being involved in an environmental situation. Yes, I'm allergic to smoke, and I got what you would call laryngitis. And when, it, when the, I was able to talk again, Without it hurting, I had the accent from someplace else. You do have a little bit of a Caribbean sort of twang to your voice. Where were you born? And share with the listeners a little of your childhood remembrances. In central Texas, probably about uh, 100 miles from Dallas. That's my native home. And I remember going when I was doing the... uh, Having the problems, my doctor here sent me to Houston to the diagnostic center, and I saw so many doctors, and that's also in the book, uh, who would come in and he would just say, ask uh, where you think she's from, after she would, he would ask me to talk to them. And they all were fascinated by what I sounded like, even though... Uh, I was a native Texan. They didn't really believe me for a while. Well, it's a fascinating fascinating sound that you have uh, created. It's distinctive, and, and uh, of course, you're a charming lady anyway. But That's what nice. was it like to try to raise three boys? It was fun. Uh, I always, they were, they, were, they were rambunctious at times, but most of the time it was fun because I enjoyed, I, from the time I could remember, I enjoyed having thought that I would enjoy having children. I would. I thought at first I was going to have more than that, but I didn't have uh, 
but those, the boys, and that was fun as it was. It, there were times when I would was uh, in the air about what I should do or how I should uh, react to some of the situations that they were involved in, but it was still an exciting journey. <laughs> you have uh, several chapters, and one that I think is distinctive and uh, certainly one I can relate to, Mama Paved the Way. What is that about? That's about the kind of upbringing that I had with my mother and the kind of uh, loving care. That's where I learned what I did know about what to do about children and how to take care of them was from my mother because she was that kind. She had gone through so many terrible experiences in her life but and the fact that we were uh, a very poor family and but I didn't really realize how poor I was until I left home because we were so happy where we were. We just knew we didn't have many of the material things that everyone else had, but we were happy with it. And I think the only reason we were is because of my mother's loving kindness, because my daddy died when I was about 10 years old. One of the chapters that deals with an incident that happened to Kenneth. Share with my listeners the story of Kenneth and how he fell into a coma. Kenneth had been, he is a, had been a manager for several companies like uh, the Sharper Image and Montgomery Wards and uh, uh, Automobile Fact, uh, I think Nissan, one of those automobile companies. He's been a manager and a business manager for years. But he always sang in the choir, and he had been singing all over Orlando because of that was his home. He had been singing, and he came home and went to bed, and when he woke up that it was on a Sunday morning, he had been singing that weekend, a Saturday night, and he woke up, uh, and he told his wife that he didn't feel well. And uh, she came in, and by the time she got there, he was almost out. And so she got him to the hospital, and by then he was, he was in a coma. And he stayed in a coma from that day until about Wednesday of the week uh, that I went out there to see him. And the doctors didn't have, didn't have anything that they knew about that caused him to be in the coma, except that the fact that he might have had a stroke, and because he had had some many strokes before that he didn't realize he had. He also had medication that he was supposed to take, and he had decided it wasn't doing. He felt all right, and he didn't he didn't take his medicine. So he was in a coma, and we were there with him in the hospital for from Sunday until about Wednesday is when he started coming out of it, and about Thursday is when he finally kind of was out a little on that Wednesday, but it was Thursday morning before he kind of realized even where he was. That was a traumatic experience. Very traumatic. And what is his current situation? Oh, he's a uh, he's as handsome as he was then on that picture, and he's uh, managing the Kangaroo. You know, it's uh, a set of stores similar to Seven Eleven here in Texas, and he's a district manager for those stores in Orlando. Well, that's incredible. You do sound a little prejudicial towards your kids, though. I mean, I might say that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe it's, it's not because they look and like... I, you know, it, it, this, it, and, and that kind of prejudice, I don't mind saying, letting <laughs> anybody know, yes, I do. <laughs> now, is it because you think they look a lot like you, or is it just because they're just good-looking guys? Uh, they, it's just because they're good-looking guys. <laughs> <laughs> they do so much for their mother. I've seen your picture on the back, and I, I will say that you're a striking lady as well, so they come from good heritage. Uh, you mentioned Jennifer. You. you mentioned Jennifer. Who is Jennifer in your story? Jennifer is Kenneth's wife, the uh, middle son. That's his wife, and she uh, had some traumatic surgeries because she had two within a year's time, and uh, uh, she had to go through uh, some uh, from one o'clock till about nine o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, 9.30, and uh, in surgery. And it was such a traumatic experience. But she is coming along nicely. Beautiful. You've shared your story, your, your family history, your family story. Who do you think is going to enjoy reading about you and your boys? I think people, the most of the ones that would enjoy reading it is uh, ones who would, what do you do in this situation and, and that kind of thing. Those people who are parents themselves, and then those who are uh, working with programs in the church, because the book contains poems, programs, and uh, writings from the Bible, as well as the things that, because I did those things while I was being a parent. You also have included some fun reflections as well. Yes. The... uh, What's fun the what's, kind of thing. what is the fun what is the funnest if I may use that phrase uh, activity or or incident that happened in your family? Well, the uh, time that I went to the wedding of uh, the the young the middle son in Orlando, and I my the oldest boy went with us, and he had to be daddy for all three his two daughters and me too. <laughs> when we bought it, we went to New Orleans. <laughs> oh boy. And he would tell us things not to look at and those would be the things we would look at. But <laughs> I was just as bad as the other girls. <laughs> so, sounds like a parent issue to me. I don't know. I I think you tell a kid or a child or someone don't do that and they automatically just uh, gravitate to whatever they're not supposed to do. And, and and with the things that were going on in New Orleans, it was, for us, it was something else, and we, we had fun looking at it. Because some of the things they were selling, somehow people were reacting on the, the streets of Bourbon Street, and it was a real, real experience. Well, yeah, and you shared that in your book. What what was the challenge? What challenging part was there in getting this to print? Was there anything in reflection that you wondered whether you should should maybe comment on, or was it all easy to get this done? Most of it was. It just came from what happened, uh, and what what the experiences I had and the feelings that I had at that time, because I had been doing it. I also write poetry on a normal basis because I have, oh, about 14 little chapbooks that I, because I wrote for a company that published poetry. And so this just came as along with it. 
And how long did it take to complete? About two years. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of the book that you have published titled While Being a Parent. You need advice on what to do as a parent. If you need to know that God is there all the time, then you need to read this book. That sounds like a mama's uh, advice. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie Marie Durham, for joining me today. Where do we get copies of your book? We can get copies um, uh, from uh, Amazon.com, iUniverse, and uh, Books a Million, and I think Barnes & Noble may have them. If they don't have them, they can order them. You can also... Go to a website with my name and the name of the book and also find out where you can order them from on, on the computer. Wonderful. And the correct spelling of your name is E-D-D-I-E, middle name Marie, M-A-R-I-E, last name Durham, D-U-R-H-A-M. Thank you, Eddie, yes, for joining me today. Correct. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled Marginal and our author visiting us from near the St. Louis area, Susie Worley Larkin. Susie, welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. How are you? Doing well. This is a a book that is fictional but has some rather striking and important topics that you cover. Tell me the inspiration behind the writing of the novel Marginal. Well, originally I implemented a breast cancer exercise class. It's called Little Bed. It was uh, one of the first classes implemented in the St. Louis metro area. And as I started working with these women, they were inside of the cancer itself. I started to realize that many of their challenges were the same type of challenges that many people are going through today throughout our nation and the world, whether you have cancer or not. And it's really defined by our society's rules. Would you describe this book as a book that would appeal to a broad range of, uh, of individuals, whether they're going through illness or not? Right. Initially, when you look at the book and you pick up the book, I think people have a tendency to say, oh, this is about breast cancer. It's probably going to be depressing. I don't want to read it. And that's really not what the book is about or the target audience. Uh, the book, each chapter in the book, probably 
you could identify with at least one character in that book and the challenge that they face and discuss. Susie, why did you title the book Marginal? What was the reasoning behind that? Okay, the word marginal, it has a dual meaning. When you looked at it initially, marginal, it can mean you're creating a boundary or either by yourself or somebody else is creating that boundary for you to reach your your goal your or overcome your challenge. But also the word margin or marginal, that is what physicians and uh, surgeons use, pathologists use to detect cancer of any sort when they receive a specimen. So it has a dual meaning. Susie, you've written some very interesting and insightful ideas in the prologue. Uh, can you share some of that with our listeners? Yes, I will read you uh, a quick paragraph from the prologue. It is titled, Our Passion's Destiny. I believe the prologue pretty much sets the tone for the reader when reading the rest of the rest of the book. There is a passion within each and every one of us that fuels our motivation to go to great lengths to accomplish what we feel passionate about. In an ideal world, we would believe that our passion drives a positive destiny for the universe and everyone. Unfortunately, sometimes people use their own passion to only embellish their own needs and integrity. However, in the big scheme of things, frequently their passion only creates boundaries for others and sometimes for themselves. And then before one knows it, life becomes marginal. Excellent. So I think that pretty much sets the tone for the reader when reading the next chapters of this book and the challenges that they face. Susie, as you were writing this book, who did you feel would be the primary reader, the one that would benefit most from reading your story? Everybody as a whole. And I'll tell you why. This is the type of book, it's a short story. You can read it from front to beginning, which most people do when they first pick up a book. But it's the type of book that if you revisit it every once in a while and just read one chapter, it kind of brings you back down to earth and it makes you reevaluate yourself, your judgment of yourself, and maybe how you are judging others because of their own personal choices. And ideally, we're not put here to judge each other. We're put here to help each other through good and bad times. So I think that the book kind of brings you back to the center point. The individuals in your book are fictionalized, but some of the stories are not. Is there a story in this book that, to you, encapsulates the, the total focus of what you're trying to achieve in writing this, this novel? Well, actually, the characters are fictional, and their stories are, are fictional, but the obstacles that they're talking about are not fictional at all. So we want to clarify that. Yes. There, if, if anybody feels that that chapter is directly about them, that's totally coincidental. But the obstacle that the character may be discussing is very real. And, and some of the obstacles that are discussed in this book are health care issues. A lot of people are denied health care treatment or their insurance company drops them because they have reached their limit for health care. So then they have stock piling medical bills and who's going to pay for them. Uh, there have been couples out there that 
have been advised to separate or get a divorce so that in case in the future a spouse would pass away, the remaining spouse is not left alive responsible for all these medical bills. Another issue that is discussed is abortion, and I will not go in detail about that, but a character is faced in the spouse with facing the possibility of making a choice of abortion and how people judge them because of this choice that they are faced with. Whether it's good or bad, same-sex marriages. Uh, many people are involved with the same gender, but they cannot get married and therefore they're not on each other's insurance policies. So, you know, that hinders some of their, their health care. So, see, it's, it's really not the virus, the cancer virus, that is destroying a lot of people. It's, uh, it's outside challenges and obstacles that we face. You have a couple of characters in there, Barbara, and is it Mickle or Michael? Michael is actually the character's name. I believe I spelled it M-I-K-E-L. Right. Okay. And Barbara is actually a fictitious character that he is that he compares to in the book and I don't want to divulge who she is, but that actually focuses on the surrealism of the celebrity hype in our nation. Why do we focus so much on celebrity hype versus some of the real issues that are going on in the in the world? And celebrities themselves are not obsolete from having the same issues true. Everyone has challenges in life. Right. And I think there's a lot of judgment there as well. In the process of writing your book, how long did it take and uh, what was the process? Some authors just sit down and get inspired and just and get it done. Others work from character development and outlines and all of those types of things. How did your book come into uh, completion? I just worked on it a little bit at a time. I uh, took each obstacle, I broke it down, and then I added the character and, you know, the storyline. Also, I illustrated. There's quite a few illustrations in the book, so I completed the illustrations. And then since I chose a self-publishing iUniverse to publish the book, once it was all written, I was part of the editing process and uh, the cuff, uh, making the final cover and choosing, you know, everything from A to Z I was involved in from the very beginning. So it was a, it was a great challenge, a great learning experience. And I know where I made some mistakes. I know where I want to go from, you know, here for the next book. I just think it was a really good experience, and it's a good story. Fabulous. You have been able to accomplish this in a short read of 108 pages. How would you introduce this book to someone who's not familiar with your writing? Um, good question. Well, I think what I would say is, you know, the book is, takes breast cancer victims and their caregivers, because most of the characters in the book are about caregivers. Caregivers dealing with different levels of, you know, they have different education and backgrounds. And then they start take, talking about their obstacles which actually is many controversial issues that everyone in the nation is currently dealing with. And then the reader um, is encouraged through the eyes of these characters to kind of start looking at people in a different manner. And one big thing that I think that people will take from the book is what you might have felt passionately about 20 years ago, you might not feel so passionate about now. 
Interesting. So you are challenging people to rethink their cliche thinking. To look at the world with a more of an open mind. Is there any underlying message besides what you've already shared that you want readers to take away from reading your book? Or does that pretty well no, sum it up? I think that pretty well covers it, yeah. There are other books in the marketplace dealing with this this topic, but you are approaching it in a very different and unique way. What makes your book different and one that they should secure and put in their library? That's a very interesting question. I have to think about that, Jay. You certainly may. I think because the way that I present it, each character not only discusses a controversial issue and obstacle, but they also, by the by the end of the chapter, they pretty much admit that they were not always right with their passionate beliefs in the beginning, and their passionate beliefs that they had changed because of the obstacles that they were overcoming. Does that make sense? It does make sense. You've got a very short chapters. They're a couple pages in length, so you approach a, a topic and sum it up in a very short period of time. Were there other challenges in, in writing this book that you had to overcome? Not for me, really, no. You mean when writing it? No, not really. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't um, formulate an opinion I wanted the reader to formulate their own opinion. I didn't want to put an opinion in the reader's mind as they are reading it. This is your first published novel. Are you planning to continue and publish a second, or how has it opened doors for you? I am currently working on another book and illustrating it, and it's a homicide thriller, actually. So, um, And the title of that is Stalemate. Uh, it has opened up other avenues for me just unbelievable. I actually won an award in London, England at the London Book Festival. I received that in the first part of 2013. And I also worked with uh, Jane uh, Wilkins-Michael. She is of Spry Living Magazine out of New York City. She has a column titled Facing Your Challenges, and I co-authored on a article working with her, which was really exciting. A couple pieces of my artwork, uh, one of the main illustrations in the very front of the book, I auctioned off a print of that for Violence Against Women to raise for their charity. And then I also had another piece of artwork that I donated to a Gateway Pet Guardian. This is located in St. Louis, Missouri for an auction that actually raises money for abuse against animals and rescuing animals. It's a really a great organization. And then the last thing, Jay, the last final thing is I met and corresponded with Dan Stedman. He is a writer and a director in film out of Los Angeles. He's from the Midwest. And I worked with him and the producer, also an actor, Ted Trent, on a movie titled Bell Bell. And the premiere of that will be April 22nd, and the premiere will take place in Belleville, Illinois, where the movie was actually filmed. Wow, that's exciting. Congratulations. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. And Dan Stedman, actually, he just had a film release titled uh, Jesus People. He was the writer and director of that as well. You can read about that. It received great reviews in the L.A. Times. So that's up and coming as well. And then we are we will be working on another film 
child expect delays starting in the next week or so. Exciting news. Thanks for sharing that. So I just wanted to let, you know, a lot of other colleagues know that there are many opportunities out there for you once your book is published and recognized, whichever road that you choose to follow, but your days could literally change overnight into positive things if you let it. Great advice. I think you've done a great job. The title of the book, again, is Marginal, and our author is Susie Worley-Larkin. Susie, where can we get copies of your book? Uh, well, Amazon. They have an e-version now from Kindle. It's very affordable. Barnes & Noble. If you Google Marginal Susie Worley-Larkin, there are a ton of areas and places that you can buy it, and it's, it's international as well. Fabulous. And do you, you personally have a website? You can go to authorsexpress.com, I believe. You can see some of my blogs right now. Thank you for taking time to share the background story about this book, Marginal, the author, Susie Worley-Larkin. Oh, you're welcome. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.